That's recording. And here we go. It's coming up. <laughs> we're on candid camera. Okay, we're on. Perfect. Okay. I'm Paranormal Pete, and I'm on a journey to seek answers to the questions that have crossed all of our minds. What happens to us when we die? Is there an afterlife? I'm a regular guy who discovered the gift of psychic mediumship in my 30s. My passion for history and the unknown have put me right here, right now. My mantra for anything paranormal is, we don't know much and anything is possible. Join me as we find our way through the stories, evidence, and experiences of the paranormal and beyond in search of answers, even if that leads to more questions. Are you with me? All right, everybody. Welcome to the Rogue edition of the Paranormal Pete Show on Let's Talk Radio. But tonight, we're coming to you just uh, via Facebook and Google Meet. And uh, the internet went down at the station due to bad weather circumstances. And so we figured out a way to still come on and give you guys a great show tonight. And it's the Paranormal Pete Show. I'm your host, Pete Orbea, and welcoming you. And I want to welcome my special guest tonight, my good friend, Mr. Neil McNeil's on with us tonight. Hey, Neil, how's it going? Hey, hey Pete, how are you? <laughs> well, we're rolling with 2020. It struck again today. Um, so we're just rolling with it, fighting that 2020. We're almost all you, to the end. and That's all you can do, yeah. <laughs> almost to the exactly. end. Exactly. Yeah, so this uh, is being recorded, and so we'll be able to archive this on the station website at WLTKDB.com or the Let's Talk, uh, com as well. So uh, this will be archived, so for anybody who can't listen the whole time or you missed it, um, we'll be archiving it on all the place, places that the show goes out to. So, again, we're going rogue style tonight for episode four. <laughs> I wanted to have Neil on as my first guest before, and um, that dang technology didn't work out last <laughs> There was some time, so bad juju wanted... going on there. Yeah. I don't know, Neil, are you doing it, maybe? <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that later on tonight. <laughs> About, yeah. about people doing things with their minds. I don't know. If I was, my, my apologies. I certainly wasn't doing it on purpose. <laughs> well, we're going to have some fun anyways, because it's always a blast to talk with you uh, about yeah, anything, well. and especially the paranormal. So a uh, real treat for everybody tonight. And uh, thanks for coming on uh, and and rolling, going rogue style with us tonight. So I'm uh, just... Yeah, thanks. Uh, so I just had a couple of housekeeping items. Uh, I had a virtual gallery reading last Saturday and wanted to thank everybody uh, who attended that. It was a lot of fun. 
and um, I feel like some interesting messages came through and people that uh, weren't expected to come through came through. That always happens. And uh, but it was a lot of fun. And um, hopefully I helped in some way. So anyways, thank you, everyone, for doing that. And I'm looking at doing one probably in February now. Um, so stay tuned for that. And we're streaming live on the, the Facebook page for the Paranormal Pete Show. So facebook.com forward slash Paranormal Pete Show. Now, tonight with Neil, so I'll give you a little background about how I know Neil. I met him at the Port Gamble Ghost Conference in 2011. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem that long ago, but it I guess really it was. Doesn't. It was kind of like yesterday, but that was some yeah. time ago. Yeah, we were and, you know, when I, yeah, it's in the good old days. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, when you could hang around people. Um, <laughs> so when I met Neil, um, you know, I, I didn't know anything about his background, anything like that, and but I got to see you speak at the Port Gamble Ghost Conference, and I was just like, whoa, this this guy is passionate about the research passionate about investigation and just the study of the paranormal. And I just, it kind of just captured me right away. And your sense of the history of paranormal research. Oh, you can't hear Neil. Oh, okay. Um, my studio tech uh, slash my beautiful wife just says people can't hear Neil. So let's take a look here. And so I can hear Neil. Hmm. Yeah, no, you should be fine. Um, hmm. Well, <laughs> you know, it's always something. Well, no kidding. <laughs> uh, okay, not getting Neil's audio. Okay. We're working on it. Let's see. There's settings here. Let's see. Because I can hear you just fine. Okay. Uh, yeah, you're not muted or anything. Nope. Not on this end. Okay. Let's see. So anyways, I'll try and talk and <laughs> look at stuff. <laughs> um, so Neil, just his knowledge of the history of paranormal research just was, I thought was so cool. And it, it really got me even more interested um, in paranormal research and just the whole field in general. Hang on. Let's see. <laughs> Goodness. Technical difficulties. Um, health. okay, sorry for dead air here. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I can't, I can't see anything on, on my end actually in the side. Yeah, I've got a good signal here. Okay. 
So I just pinned you to the screen. So go ahead and try talking. And if everyone on Facebook, if you're listening, uh, go ahead, Neil, say something. Okay, testing, testing, check, check. Do we have anything yet? Are we live? Okay. Are we Memorex? Can someone comment and see if... Can you hear me from the Neil Vile? <laughs> It's always something. Yes. Okay. Well, try and keep talking here. We'll see if somebody comments. Okay. Uh, okay. Nothing yet. Okay. So <laughs> what I yet. did, what I did, did not do that. Okay. Um, out. well, I could turn on captions. Um, you know what? You could try and mute your microphone and okay. ca call in with your phone. Okay. Like you could open up your email on your phone and click the link on your phone and do just, um, you know, just your phone and see if that works. Okay, we can do that. Yeah. Um, let me let me make sure I got the yeah. email before I so, myself here. Well, I'll just talk, I'll just talk um, okay. since people can hear me blabbing on. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. So one of the things we're going to talk about, along with um, parapsychology, is I was going to share the story of an experiment that was done, and it was a parapsychology experiment. And I think it's a nice um, segue into kind of where Neil's research um, tends to go towards. And so it's called the Philip experiment. And it was done in 1972 in Canada and in Toronto. And it was to determine whether subjects can communicate with fictionalized ghosts through expectations of human will. So they were going to create something and see if there could be some evidence or would there be an apparition of this made-up person that would show up. And so the experiment was conducted by a mathematician named A.R.G. Owen and was overseen by a psychologist, Dr. Joel Witten. And so basically, the goal was to create a fictional character through purposeful methodology and then attempt to communicate with it through like a quote-unquote seance. And uh, so they made up this whole story. And Neil's calling in. We're trying this out. <laughs> Let's see if we can get him and his audio. Or you could, Neil, you could also open up the video on your phone and just use your audio from your phone and see if that comes through. Instead of just a phone call, if that's easier. We'll see what we get here. Okay, joined. All right, Neil, go ahead and say something. And are we there? 
Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. okay. Now let's see. Can people hear him now? Okay, keep do we, talking, do Neil. We have, do we have anything there? Anybody out there? <laughs> Anybody out there at all? I'm calling the spirits. <laughs> Will you please reply? We're putting out the gold record. This, this is like uh, what seances used to be, you know? <laughs> right. You know? Okay, Can one person me? one person said no. Keep it we're keep trying. Okay. Oh we'll my just goodness. keep talking. So, so about the about the Philip experiment, uh, mm -hmm. this was a this was one of the first things that um, that I ran into as far as uh, parapsychology. Such an interesting experiment that was done back in 1972, um, because nobody had really taken an in depth look at the idea of can you? It's what I call making a test tube ghost. Can you actually? <laughs> make a ghost yes. happen uh, and so this was a this was quite a lengthy process with this as you know as this group did um, they tried a couple of different methods uh, to to see if they could uh, actually produce a ghost and eventually what they what they came up with which I'm sure you're going to tell everybody about um, was rather unique yeah, right. and um, has a lot of bearing on on potentially on the evidence that investigators out in the field are getting today. Um, so, you know, the question, the, the question ended up being at the end of the experiment, basically, um, was this actually a ghost or was this a, a construct? Was this a mental uh, construct? So. Right. Very, very interesting. And the ramifications yeah, yeah. we're still trying to figure out today. Right, right, because some of the um, some of this the experiments that they did, they did. Ex um, oh, somebody says sounds great, so maybe they can hear you. Oh no, or hey. maybe. Well, I just put that I'm gonna. I don't know. I don't know if that was to a comment. I just did. I just put on there okay. that we are recording via Google, and so if we can't get you your audio through, then what we'll do is I'm just gonna as soon as we're done with the show, I'm going to um, get the. Google Meet video recording up on my YouTube channel, and then I'll post it here to Facebook. And so everybody can hear you. Uh, but for now, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think what I'm going to do is um, stop the Facebook live and we'll just record our interview. And then, um, oh, well, Molly is suggesting speaker phone. Um, we speaker could try that. Try, yeah, yeah try you. putting your phone try putting your phone on speakerphone. Okay, hang on just a sec here. Yeah, and then okay, okay. and then and I can hear you. Anybody hear him now? We're trying different things. Once again, I'm on speakerphone now. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> you get to hear me in all different dimensions. This is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and I apologize, everybody out there. I'm trying to figure out how to make this work, and I'm somewhat tech savvy. <laughs> but, you know, it's 2020. Um, okay, now, can anybody comment now? 
Okay, still not on there. So, Neil, what I'm going to do is I'm going to end the Facebook Live because um, everybody's just going to hear only me, and they're not going to get to hear all the wonderful things you've got to say. And <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to continue to record. Um, and then what I'll do is after this, so everybody listening out there, uh, sorry about that. Um, what we'll do is we're recording already our um, – interview and i will get that on my youtube channel paranormal pete show slash port gamble paranormal tours and so after when we're done i'll get that uploaded there and then i'll I'll put that upload it here on facebook and so that everyone can hear neil at that point so i'm going to go ahead and end the facebook live feed but uh, everyone thanks for bearing with me uh, we're going i guess to rogue uh, too much we're going way rogue on this one um, yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and end this, and uh, now we'll eventually get uh, the show archive up on WLTKDB.com uh, as well. So uh, stay tuned for later tonight or catch it tomorrow. I'll get this uploaded on uh, my Facebook page here at the Paranormal Pete Show, and we'll see you all later. Thanks. Okay. So... Let's make sure live video ended. So we're good there. Okay. Now you can get, you can hang up your phone and unmute your computer because we're just going to go this way. We'll do it this way. Okay. Yep. That'll okay. be so much easier. <laughs> right. Here we go. All right. Okay. I'm back on here. Does that work? All right. Yeah. No, I can hear you great. So. Oh, but now um, I can't hear you. Um, really? Hang on just a second. Oh, yeah, your headphones. Let's switch back <laughs> to my headphones here. Yep. Check, check. Okay, go ahead. Hello. Can you hear me now? Gotcha. Gotcha now. Okay. All right, cool. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so let's back this up a little bit. Sure, so, let's do that. So we're talking about the uh, Philip experiment and you're talking about the expectation, you know, and the, and the purpose was to see, can you create, you know, I like how you put it, a test tube ghost. <laughs> yeah, basically, that's that's what it amounted to. Yeah. And so I have Philip's story. And so the participants in the experiment came up with this big, you know, very detailed backstory. Uh, and it was very purposeful in how they did it. And so that there could be, you know, I guess, do you think it's just to have some sort of sense of reality to the person? It's in the same vein as uh, as when an author creates a character. Um, very oftentimes a writer will say that the character comes alive. Uh, Charles Dickens did that. Uh, right. A Christmas Carol, actually, with Ebenezer Scrooge. Yes. Uh, that, that the more real you make the character, they take on a life of their own and they actually begin directing their own life um, right. I will say, you know, no, this character doesn't want to do that. Um, and I think that was part of the the process that this this group um, of parapsychologists and, and psychical researchers in Toronto did in 1972. Um, they felt, I think, that if they could create this, this personage um, so completely to the point where they actually had a, a forensic artist come yeah. in and, and do drawings, Yes. Uh, if you Google Philip, you'll actually see what Philip looked like, um, according to them and how they described him. It made it that much more real and that much more present and powerful 
in the minds of the participants. So as the experiment then progressed, um, it was just very interesting to see that Philip took on a life of his own. So in, in the beginning, they were trying um, the idea of creating this character, Philip, who was a lord. He had his own castle, Diddington Castle. Yes. Um, and uh, he had, <laughs> had a beautiful wife who was also frigid. Uh, it was not a really good uh, coupling. I think it, it might have been an arranged marriage uh, that they came up with for him. Um, sure. And he, had, he had a hot-blooded gypsy lover on the side. Yes. And uh, <laughs> they basically, they detailed his whole life, you know, what his background was and his family and the manor house and all this kind of stuff. And they they had this affair going on between Philip and, and uh, the gypsy. Yes. And of course, when his wife found out about it, she was incensed and uh, found a way to off the gypsy, uh, have her killed. And when Philip uh, supposedly found out about this. He was so distraught and despondent that he threw himself off the walls of his own castle to his death. Right. Close of curtain, there's the, there's the sad story of Philip. And so this was what these researchers had in mind. And the first part of the experiment was um, to sort of gather around and using uh, sort of an ESP approach. Could they contact him? Could they, you know, call him in? from the beyond. And they tried that for a year, number of different uh, methods of doing right. it, and it didn't work for them. And then one of the researchers got the brilliant idea that, you know, physical mediums uh, back in the day at the turn of the century, when, when you had all the great seances, the golden age of spiritualism going on, uh, people sat around a table and they held hands and they darkened right. the lights in the room and everybody was very <laughs> quiet. And they had this, this Q&A session and I thought, well, it worked for them, at least in some cases with the more believable, compelling uh, mediums. Uh, so they thought maybe we should try that. You know, everything else we've tried is, hasn't worked at this point. Right. And they did. And you know what happened. Uh, yeah, didn't they, didn't they actually, at one point a table actually tilted up on its side? It did actually on a couple of different occasions. The um, the first time that they that they did this, uh, or the first couple of times that they did this, uh, the the researchers were asking, you know, is Philip here? Can we can we speak with Philip? And again, this is a completely imaginary person that they made right. for the purposes of the experiment. Right. And within those first couple of sessions, as everybody's gathered around the table in the dark, holding hands, uh, somebody knocked on the table just like they used to do in the old seances right looking yes. around at each other okay was that you was that you wasn't me were you cracking your tonus you know that kind of thing yeah um, and because they're researchers they were they were uh they had controls in place that they were looking uh for things like this uh, fakery and, and chicanery and whatnot but it turned out to be the real thing that they actually started getting wraps on the table right because of that, if you've got, you know, one knock for yes, two for no, or whatever, you can actually hold a pretty decent conversation with somebody. And they did. They were actually able to have this conversation with, with a made-up <laughs> made person, with this alleged ghost. Right. Um, and the, the thing is that this particular aspect of the experiment went on for a long time. They met several times, I think over the course of a year. Yeah, uh, I think so, yeah. At this point to to contact him. And um, 
get more information from him and ask him more questions about his life. And interestingly, um, two things happened. Number one, it turned out that Philip, whoever Philip ended up being, Philip only could answer questions based on knowledge within his, his lifetime. So in other oh, words, if you were a lord from the 16th or 17th century, you wouldn't know anything about Boeing 747s. You wouldn't know anything you know, about polyester. Um, and, and he didn't have any knowledge. He couldn't answer those questions, but he could give detailed responses um, to questions that were technically within his knowledge base. Um, wow, that's a I mean, really interesting point. Uh, that's that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of is. And uh, if, if this was something just run of the mill or fakery or something like that, somebody might not be that detailed. They might not be that paying uh, close enough attention. Um, so that was one interesting thing. The other interesting thing that happened with this experiment was that as time went on, Philip's responses went from being just raps or knocks on the table mm -hmm. to breezes through the room when the all the doors and windows are shut, um, okay. electrical, electrical interference with the lights um, or a radio, I think if they had, or, or uh, recorders, they actually had, you know, the old analog bulky recorders, uh, okay. 1972. Um, and they would have some electrical issues with that. Um, in some of the sessions, objects began to move. And so, as you mentioned, the table actually tilted up on its right. side, on two legs, I think, on one leg, uh, something like that. It moved around. It actually, in one of the sessions, it cornered one of the researchers. It it just slid across. If you've ever seen right. a demonstration of table tipping, this happens. It just slid right across the room um, and cornered somebody. One of the really fascinating things that happened was one of the researchers during one of these uh, sessions wasn't feeling well okay. and was in another room, like down the hall, just lying down. And they contacted Philip and asked if he would go and check on this other person who was not present. They didn't say why. Okay. And they waited a little bit. And when Philip made his presence known again, said he was back and they interviewed him about what he had seen, he was able to accurately describe who the person was, what they were doing, in what position they were lying down in, you know, that sort of thing, all the okay. details that right. were happening that nobody in the room could see at that okay. point. Right. Um, so you have all of these wonderful uh, things in this progression that the more they began to interact with him or believe in him, if you will, the right. stronger he got, uh, the more interactive he became. Wow. And, and the, the crowning achievement really was that after about a year of doing this, they decided that it was so um, predictable, it was so reliable to have Philip present whenever they got the group together, that they would take him on national television, <laughs> live on national Canadian yeah, television. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they brought the group in and there is there exists some film of this, little film clips that you can find. Um, they, they did the experiment live on the air and Philip was there. He replied. He did the things that he was used to doing right. in the sessions. And interestingly enough, up in the booth, up in the control booth, 
they reported having electrical issues at the time that Philip was present, not before, not after. after. <laughs> and, and they've been doing this live show for who knows how long, and they never had this kind of interference before. Right, because they've got their equipment dialed in. Exactly. It's top yeah. of the line. You're doing this show every night, you know. Yeah. Um, so they couldn't explain it. Uh, so you have this really amazing interactive experience, this full-on, full immersion experience with a theoretical ghost. Right. And the question is, you know, was this just something that they created that took on a life of its own? Was this actually a ghost? Uh, right. Did they suddenly tap into an actual historical person? And they, matched, they, they kind of matched some of the exactly. story. Okay. Exactly. And the interesting thing is pretty much how they ended the experiment, as I understand it, is um, essentially saying during one of the sessions, admitting that they had created Philip from the beginning, that he was just a construct, that he right. was from their imagination collectively. Mm -hmm. And after that, they didn't have any more contact with Philip. Philip wouldn't appear. Weird. And then it, the, the rest of the story is that other psychical researchers, other groups, other parapsychology groups, even to this day, created their own Philip experiments. And many of them had very similar results. There was one yeah. known, the Lilith experiment. Lilith, yeah, and Humphrey. Yeah. And Humphrey. Yep, yeah, Humphrey, yep. Um, and in fact, if you, if you can find the book, it's out of print. It's just simply called The Philip Experiment. Um, which is written by uh, Dr. Owen, who, who uh, spearheaded this thing, gives step-by-step -step instructions on how to create your own Philip. How to get oh, that's together. A, uh -oh. <laughs> So, you know, the next party you have, you go, <laughs> forget Twister, let's make a ghost. So yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just a very, very interesting concept first to come up with. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah can you make a test tube ghost and then actually try several different methods and find one that does work and then work to repeat so it. Well, yeah to be able to repeat it and do it reliably yeah that's crazy uh, you know astonishing uh and then have other groups be able to replicate it and have their own very <laughs> similar experiences with it so so do you think um did you do you think that this experiment and kind of what it led to with um like you said you know a step by step and other groups being able to do this do you think that that was like an advancement in the field of parapsychology I think it was an advancement in the field of psychical research um there, and there's a bit of a difference between psychical research and and parapsychology depending sure. on who you ask yeah. um, Strictly speaking, parapsychology deals with laboratory studies under controlled conditions. Okay. Things that you do in the field, by and large, are often referred to as either field studies or psychical research, just like it was known um, back uh, in, in the turn of the century with the Society for Psychical Research when they were doing their stuff in the field. Um, so, but to answer the question, was it a step forward? I think it was a really intriguing experiment that that does not prove anything sure and on its own is not necessarily evidence of anything in particular right but as a whole 
when you've got two, three, four, five groups over periods of time repeating that experiment and again having very similar responses and, and outcomes, yeah. then you have to start saying, okay, there's something to this. There is something <laughs> going on here that is just beyond, well, let's make a ghost. There's there there is a uh, an act of creation, if you will, going sure. on. Um, it's kind of the modern paranormal Prometheus to 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 mix metaphors um, that you, that you're you've got these these Dr. Frankenstein's basically creating <laughs> their monsters and and trying to control them, trying to to right. answer questions and do you know all of this sort of thing. Um, so as an advancement, I think I think it's value in the long run. Right. As an example of what the human mind can do, what the power of intention can right. do. And further, if you, if you believe in the power of psychokinesis, mind over matter, the ability to have a physical effect on your environment or on a system, um, that becomes a very interesting idea that they were able to, as a group, as a as a almost like a thought experiment, create a physical presence, right? Physical phenomena, just like in the old seance rooms, just like the physical mediumship that happened, you know, again at the turn of the century, right? Um, that I believe not all of which was was fakery. I, I do believe that there were some very, uh, very uh, real and compelling cases uh, from that period in time. So it sort of stands to reason. That that there is a psychokinetic connection with these experiments, with the Philip right. experiment and the Lilith experiment, um, because you have to have those people present in order for that entity to work, you know, right, to be there and to manifest and and to work. Um, so, if we kind of leapfrog, and I know it's a bit of a, a jump, but if we if we go from the Philip experiment to psychokinesis, being able to, you know, move objects, being able to create weather, um, being able to start fires, um, teleport things, uh, for which there is quite a bit of evidence on, on, on those. Then you think, well, okay, so that was a concerted effort between people of like minds trying to achieve a result, right? Right, right. We're doing that in the field with the Philip experiment. You do that in the laboratory with, with parapsychology experiments. So what happens when you've got paranormal investigators or ghost hunters in the field, a group of like-minded people, several of whom more than likely are psychically gifted. I believe all, everybody is, but to right. a degree, a lot of groups use psychics. Right. Use Many people have latent psychic ability. So you've got these groups going out into situations where they're thinking about, they're thinking paranormally, they're thinking about ghosts, right? thinking about what's in that house. They're thinking about what's been disturbing these people and, and all these other things. Is it possible then that at least in some cases, perhaps in many cases, are investigation groups helping to create their own evidence? I think that is an extremely valid point. <laughs> and that's something that's easily forgotten when you're 
you know, you're a team and you're doing lots of investigations. And, and I was going to say, does, does the psychokinesis and, you know, I guess the ESP of the people is specifically in these experiments does, is what they experienced in a sense a poltergeist? Uh, really good question. And to to answer it very, very generically, yes, <laughs> you could say that that's a poltergeist. Um, the, the popular idea of a poltergeist up until about 1980-ish right. uh, was that it was a, a certain type of ghost that was, uh, I don't want to say necessarily malicious, although it could be malevolent, but was very disruptive. Mm -hmm. um, it was sort of like the house guest that didn't want to leave. Right. Uh, and, and through ta uh, tantrums, you know, you have a lot of physical activity going on, doors slamming, pots and pans being thrown. Right. Uh, sometimes even scratches and bites and things like that. Um, through research from a number of parapsychologists, William Roll being one of those, um, it was, we, we revised the idea of what a poltergeist actually is, that it is not a separate ghost um, itself, but that it is a, I guess you could say, for lack of a better term, a mental emotional construct. Of from us. Yes, from us. There's usually one person. I, I did have a case where actually there were two agents in the same household. But usually uh -oh. it's one person um, who is undergoing an enormous amount of stress in their life, um, right. doesn't handle stress very well, doesn't realize that they've got psychic ability or, or psychokinetic ability in particular. Sure. And basically throws a psychic tantrum without knowing it. And uh, it just appears to be activity that's around them. Exactly. And, and it follows them around. Um, oftentimes in, in poltergeist cases, um, the, the technical term is recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis or RSPK. Um, okay. You can see why we shorten it to RSPK. Um, but essentially that says what it is, that you've got a psychokinetic element that's happening regularly. It's recurring and it's recurring spontaneously. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. It just does. Um, but it does right. it over a period of time. So those are the things that, that we have when we're talking about a poltergeist now. So when you look at the Philip experiment, it, you could mm -hmm. say that it was a very well-heeled poltergeist. It was a very well-controlled uh, RSPK event that happened on a regular basis. And so then couldn't you say that if it, investigators and researchers going into the field are doing this unwittingly, that's the important thing. I'm not, I'm not claiming that people are doing this on purpose. They're doing it unwittingly. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. Isn't it possible that that's the same, at least the, in the same vein, if not the exact same uh, phenomena that's going on? It seems just from yeah. all conditions, it's very close. Um, well, especially if there's a location, and I think you have to start looking at um, locations that are, you know, well-documented, well-known, you know, places that have a haunting or places where apparitions or, you know, where there's a lot of activity that you know maybe they repeat investigate at a location they're going to have those expectations and they're like you said they're going to be thinking about 
you know, oh, there's the story of this person up in the bell tower and this, and they're going to be thinking about that. And last time we were here, we heard a voice and they're going to be thinking about that voice. Um, I've, I've kind of wondered that with the Walker Ames house too. Um, you know, just with, you know, maybe when we do hear a disembodied voice, oh, you know, who is it really? I mean, we don't really know. Could it be like uh, Aunt, like Annabelle that's in there? Right. That, right. that voice, you know, because we heard that voice. Uh, well, I'm, I feel like I've heard it numerous times. So I hope I'm not the agent. But <laughs> <laughs> it's all your fault. But is there, yeah, but when people come in, they may have heard that story. They may, you know, they they heard of different stories about the Walker Ames house. And so they're thinking about it beforehand. And so are they furthering that or, you know, at well-known haunted locations? I mean, that's a question that I think is, it, it's a tough one to think about. And I think most people don't want to think about that, but I think you have to be aware of it. I think you're right. I think most people don't want to go there, um, but you but you have to if you're really wanting to do good investigation. Uh, if you're wanting to have really proper protocols, you have to take that into account. And as you say, right. if you're going on a paranormal investigation, you say, okay, Friday night we've got this and we've got this investigation. We're going up to Bellingham to do this investigation of a private house. You front you're front loaded. There's no way that you can then take that information back. You know you're going to a place that at least has been purported to have right. this alleged activity. You don't know you weren't there at the time that it was originally um, experienced, but you assume, as we all do, that people are telling the truth, okay? Which is a whole other show. Uh, <laughs> sure. but, yeah, uh, but you're going with the idea that at least these people's story might have some credence to it. And that's what you're there to find out. Yeah. So you've, you've primed the prompt, the pump you've, you've, you're front loaded with that information. When I've taught classes on paranormal investigation, one of the things that I've always sort of teased students with is I will take them to a location. You go through the class, you learn how to do at least some scientifically based investigation and technique. And sure. then I take you to a location so you can practice that. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've teased students for years, perhaps unfairly, that one <laughs> of these days, I'm gonna take a group to an unhaunted location, to a location that has zero history of activity. And I'm not gonna tell you. If it is. That's right. And I'm going to throw you in there and you're going to do your investigative technique. And if you're doing it properly, you're probably going to come up with nothing. That's, that's the idea, right? Because there's nothing going on there. There's nothing that's been reported there. Um, so, you know, there's, that's, that's one of the controls that you can sort of introduce into field investigation. Right. And I, I actually would encourage investigation groups and do encourage investigation groups to try that with new recruits, um, especially when it comes to using psychics and mediums. Yeah, I was going to ask, so, you know, how do you kind of get around that going to a place that you know is haunted and how can you kind of have an unbiased expectation going into it so um maybe does that mean you know maybe teams should try and and 
investigates locations that don't have activity, you know, to kind of, kind of, I guess it checks their investigation protocols and how they do it. You know, is that like a good way to help kind of get around, even if you know you're going to a place and you've heard stor these stories, that story, you know? I think it's an excellent way to go about doing that for, for a number of reasons. Number one, it allows you to test out your equipment. If you're using equipment, if you're using tri-field meters, if you're using recorders and cameras and all kinds of other things, it allows you a, a fairly controlled environment that has nothing going on. Right. It has a flat baseline there. There shouldn't be anything happening so that you can really learn what the norm is, right. how, how these pieces of equipment function in, in quote unquote, the normal world. Right. Um, and that's, that goes the same for psychics and for mediums. There was a, a parapsychologist, uh, Gertrude Schmeidler, who was, a, 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 to me, a giant. She's like one of my personal heroes in paranormal investigation. One of the things that she did as a parapsychologist was she was pretty much the first person to actively use psychics and mediums on investigation in the field in a scientific manner. In a, in a controlled way, controlling them with protocols. And how she did that, a couple of different ways, but the main way was she gave no information whatsoever to the psychics and the mediums. Going in blind. You went in as blind as you could be. Now, you know that this person is a parapsychologist and that they run experiments in field investigation, so you can't completely dismiss the idea that, oh, I could be going to a haunted house but because they give you no information and they either just give you the location or they have somebody come pick you up and take you to the location. So you really right. don't know where you're going. Right. Um, and you have zero contact with anybody else. So the psychics and the mediums go in first. And basically take notes and. And what she did was she, she pioneered the use of a, using a floor map. Okay. So that everybody had the same basic notebook that to take notes in. Right. So you, you have a, a floor plan and the psychics and the mediums were supposed to mark the areas. Here's an X. I'm feeling this and make a note. And the right. time at this time, I feel that this entity was here. Or I felt this emotion here. And then she had, uh, there's a psychological tool. Um, it's sort of like an adjective list. Okay. Um, that describes all these different adjectives. And basically for every encounter that this psychic or medium had, you would circle or cross out all of these adjectives that would as a whole describe the behavior of this individual okay. that you're sensing. Okay. And then what she did on top of that was didn't rely just on one psychic or a medium. She brought in four or five people. And she did it one right after the other. Interesting. So this person had this amount of time in the house. Okay, fine. Thank you. Collect your paperwork. 20 minutes later, somebody else comes in. They do the same thing. And then what she would do is she would overlay all of these pieces of information. Right. So you look, and I've done this with the Walker Ames house. Uh, I don't know if you, you might remember from that presentation I did last year at the, at the conference. Yes. I took maps that I've received from students and from investigations and overlaid them one on top of the other. And the concentrations of X's gave us our hotspots. 
That's and those hot spots traditionally, historically in that house are yeah. exactly where people have those experiences. And that's that's not my technique. That's based on Gertrude's. Right. I'm, just, I'm tipping my hat to her because that to me is a very simple, elegant and effective way to test your psychics, test your mediums, be able to use them on investigation and use their information as just another piece of evidence and have it be about as controlled as any other piece of equipment. Right. So circling back to the original question, yeah, I think it's absolutely ideal for, for groups and investigators to do these techniques and use them um, and stick to them. Because it doesn't, it doesn't do you any good if you're only doing this on one investigation. This should be your protocol for all right. investigations because that's really the only way that you're going to get any useful data over right. a period of time. So it, that's just that's fascinating. Um, just the whole process, and I would hope I hope someday I get to uh, go to an unknown location that's unknown to me. I'd, I'd love to go do that and maybe even blindfold myself. So I don't know where I'm going, um, and go and run through a place with the floor plan and, and try that. That'd be, I would love to do that. Um, and, and you've in your classes, you've always provided the floor plan, the floor map, of right. the Walker Ames house. And it's just, it's fun to have it, you know, and just to be able to, yeah. um, I've used it quite a few times, you know, when I've gone in there and done stuff and it's always the, it's always the same places. Not all the time, but it's, right. it's, some things move a bit, but, um, and then, you know, one thing I've noticed with that house too is, different people have more experiences or hits or stuff, uh, you know, data collected, you know, on certain floors than others. Right. Um, for me, it's, it's the second floor of the Walker Ames house is right. where I have the bulk and feel the bulk of my own personal experiences yeah. and the most audio evidence that I've captured in the house is on the second floor. Right. Attic, not so much for me. Basement, nothing. <laughs> just a basement. I just feel I don't generally experience anything. First floor occasionally, but it's the second floor. But then I hear other people, and it's it's the attic. They you know they want to spend all their time in the attic because that's where they feel they get the most um, evidence that they can get during an investigation. Some people, it's the basement, and yeah. it just you know. It, it's interesting and it, and it kind of makes me think now about what since we're talking about all this that maybe it's all of our own expectations because since i feel like i've had the bulk of my experiences on the second floor i, I expect it you know in a way i think that there's there's something to that I, there was a point the, the same thing occurred to me when i was having uh, classes go and, and do these investigations and there came a point where i thought I, I probably should stop collecting data or, or flag it in my files to say, you know, I probably shouldn't consider the data from this point on. Because yeah. that's at, at one point, so many people began to know about the house and what was going on there and what was being reported that, it, that as you said, it almost became expected because people tell people and yeah. stories get out and, you know, it, it's, it's, and the ghost walks really spread the stories. And goes, well, you know, but the, <laughs> that's my bad. 
No, no. I mean that was that that goes on. That was actually going on prior to to, to I think your involvement. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, a couple of years. And so, which and which is a great idea because you can't really give a good ghost walk without providing the paranormal history um, sure. behind all of these things. Um, but there was sort of this grace period for a few years um, when from about 2003 to probably about 2008-ish, 2010, when we started doing the conferences, um, that there was kind of this golden period where not too many people knew. Right. And so I felt comfortable taking people in and, and especially people who had never done anything yeah. because they weren't with groups. You know, they were just interested in taking a class on this stuff. So, yeah, so it was kind uh, of the prime, the prime unbiased, unbiased, you know, exploration of the place. Yeah. 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 Which isn't to say that, that people who have their experiences in, in there now aren't having the genuine experience. The yeah. thing to remember, and, and here's here's where we're going to kind of go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. Have you ever wondered how uh, an electronic voice phenomenon, a voice that you get, an EVP from the Walker Ames house, have you ever wondered how that actually gets onto the digital media? How do you actually get that recording? I have wondered. <laughs> Good. I don't Great. know that I have an answer, but I don't know that we have the answer. But but the thing is, is you've got to remember that a ghost is not a physical object. And we don't have meters to detect them. I mean, well, it, we don't. That's the best that we can do. The reason that we use um, electromagnetic field meters um, is because in some cases, the appearance of ghostly phenomena creates a, distur a disturbance in the force, Luke. So basically yeah. you're, you're having a disturbance in the localized um, electromagnetic field um, or the magnetic field or background radiation. You know, there's a number of different sure. tools that we can use. Um, but uh, this is the example that I use um, for those people who have watched my DVD. I use, I use the example of Abraham Lincoln, right? We all know what right. Lincoln looked like. Yes. So if Abraham Lincoln, if the ghost of Abraham Lincoln appears to you right now in your, in your room where you're listening to this program, appears to you, is that really Lincoln? Or is it your construct? More than likely. Because Lincoln's body is, is buried and right. it's dust. It's not, you know, there's nothing physical. Yeah. Um, added to that when we have, which actually is more common than most people think, when you have group sightings or group ghost experience, apparitional experiences mm -hmm. by more than one person, not everybody experiences that apparition the same way. Some people will see something. Some people will feel something. Sure. That's what I do. Some people will hear something. Some get a combination of those and some people don't get anything at all. And that can all happen within a group of six people. Sure. You know, if you if you go to a crime scene and you've got six witnesses, they're all going to have a different story because everybody has a different way of perceiving things. It's all very subjective. Sure. So if you have Abraham Lincoln appear to you and three other people in the room, I'm willing to bet that not everybody's going to experience them the same way. They're going to describe their experience differently. That's why we call it the subjective paranormal experience. It's your perception, okay? Right. Now, having said that, if Lincoln speaks to you and starts reciting the Gettysburg Address, 
<laughs> okay. There's no physical voice apparatus there. There, there are no vocal folds okay. uh, to produce sound. And in point of fact, if you were recording, you may or may not get the ghost's voice. Just like if you're recording. You mean like actually on the recorder? On the recorder. You may, this has happened to me on a number of occasions and probably you as well. You'll hear it. You'll hear the voice because I've done this on the Walker Ames house. I hear the voice coming from the second floor, but nobody's recorder picks it up and also vice versa. Nobody heard it at the time, but then it showed up later when you're listening to your tapes at two in the morning, which you shouldn't do. But uh, <laughs> basically what we're saying here, what parapsychologists believe is going on is that the, 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 the simplest explanation, the most elegant explanation is probably the one that's actually happening, is that we as observers, living, living people observing and perceiving these experiences are doing it, not just through our physical senses, but more importantly, through our psychic senses. So when you see a ghost, it's actually clairvoyance. When you hear a ghost, it's actually clairaudience. Audience, yep. It's clairsentience when you feel the drop in temperature or you feel them touch you or brush past you. Um, and it's possible that those EVP recordings or those visual recordings that sometimes we get on cameras and video cameras, digital sure. cameras, um, could be the ghost using its psychic abilities to imprint onto those physical media or imprint on you to imprint on those physical media. Sure, sure. So like, you know, they could, you know, so what you're saying is, you know, let's say a an entity is speaking, right? And they use their psychic abilities to send that sound of the voice to my ears. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't really tell. Right, I can't really tell, is it my ears I'm hearing it with or is it my mind? Right. I'm getting it and then possibly that could be imprinting on a piece of audio or you know whatever which is exactly why it's called electronic voice phenomena or electronic audio phenomena because it's not an acoustic signal right it's an imprint basically if it was an acoustic signal like you strum a guitar or you start yodeling that is a signal that anybody in the house should be able to hear and pick up. Right. Yet not everybody does. Yeah. In the cases where it's it shows up on your recordings when nobody heard it. Yeah. There's it's not an audible signal. It's not an it's not an acoustic vibration that's happening. Right. So there's another form of of imprinting going on here, and that's the electronic part. Um, is that it's it's affecting the magnetic tape, it's affecting the digital recorder, it's somehow or another, uh, your psychic ability is able to do that or the ghost psychic ability is able to do that, just like the Toronto Psychical Research Group was able to create Philip. Exactly. And Neil, this, <laughs> this is why I love talking with you. <laughs> <laughs> And it, it, it's it's probably a curse for parapsychologists, but it always makes you stop and question everything you thought you knew.
because you have to go back to square one. You kind of do. And and look at the human manipulation in an environment. And, yeah. And yeah. Our psychic abilities, whether we know we have them or not. And it, it just, I've always loved that, that, you know, you, you, you know, you get into investigating and you're collecting all these pieces of audio and then you talk to Neil and he asks you, well, did that actually happen or was that your mind or, and then you go, well, darn it. I don't know. I got to go back to square one now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't paying attention to the time and the conditions and who was there. And, yeah. Yeah, it's all the stuff you've got to do, you know, it's a process. It's a real pain in the butt. Um, but really, if you want to, if you want to do it right and be able to walk away with a, with, with, actual evidence and data rather than just a ghost story this is the way to go sure um so and, and you and I, I want to point out you said something very important there that these are human generated phenomena there right. when, when you when you've got a medium or a psychic that's that's the living doing psychic phenomena right right stands to reason that if you've got those phenomena if you've got the ability to do those things while you're alive and they're part of the mind, mm -hmm. we believe that the mind, at least in some form, survives the death of the body and can come back. So why wouldn't you also be able to take your, your you can't take your money with you, but you can take your psychic ability with you, right. um, which is more valuable in my, in my opinion. So, um, but, regardless of what you believe or what the mechanism is that you think is, is happening here, these all come from human generated instances. Sure. It's humans that are, that are observing them and perceiving them. And it's humans that are the apparitions. That's not to say that animals don't respond and animals don't come back as ghosts because they do. Um, but these just generally speaking, the the reason that I believe paranormal phenomena is exist is simply because it's part of our human condition. Part of our it's part of our, yeah. yeah, it's part of our it's part of our experience of living. And we just don't know. And probably as I guess we'll say on this plane and in, in this existence, we just can't even probably comprehend yet how it all works. You know, that's why I would say, like, you know, we don't know much and anything's possible. <laughs> right. <laughs> because, those are great words because that's absolutely <laughs> true, you know. Yeah, and we just can't, you know, pick up on it. Well, I want to share a story with you and sure. kind of get your opinion, what you think. So this is in the Walker Ames house. And this was probably, um, probably four years ago. Uh, yeah, it was probably around 2016. And I had a small group of people and I had done a private tour and some of them were family. Um, and it was family that I had just met, you know, within the last year sort of thing. And so I had taken them around and we were standing in the front foyer mm -hmm. of the Walker Ames. And uh, just to kind of give a little context for people who are listening is I was standing in front of a fireplace looking towards the front door, the front of the house. And so I was standing kind of in front of that fireplace that's in the front foyer. And the rest of the group was kind of in a half circle uh, facing me. And so they were all probably about six feet away from me. And um, I was giving some history on the house of, you know, the people who built it 
and you know kind of where the house came from and and the plans and you know just the the general history of the house and i and it seems like a few other people heard what sounded like a slight foot scrape on the floor in this hallway that was directly behind me and neil you know which hallway i'm talking about it's got the basement and then the uh, servant staircase Anyways, there was kind of like a, a, a foot scrape on the floor or like, you know, some like clothing dragging on the floor kind of sound. It wasn't very loud, but it caught our attention. And I did have the lights off and I was holding my flashlight pointed towards the floor. And as I was given the history of the house, well, we heard this noise. And so I turned and with my flashlight and there was a woman standing there. And she had long brownish curly hair, kind of disheveled hair a little bit and like no expression on her face. I'd say she's probably like five, six. And, but when I turned my flashlight, she looked real to me and my flashlight got her right in the eyes and she didn't react at all mm -hmm. um, to a bright flashlight right in her eyeballs. Okay. And as I turned, the entire group saw her wow. and we all collectively went <gasps> gasped and then she was gone. And now when, now when you said she was gone, can you describe what you mean by I that? Don't, I don't know how to describe it other than just vanish. It wasn't there. Okay. Yeah. Just vanish. And my light, you know, I hadn't moved my light cause I, it was, it was very quick. Mm -hmm. Turn my light. There she was. We all saw her, no expression on her face. The flashlight didn't affect, she didn't flinch mm -hmm. and we all gasped and then just vanished. And so I had everybody walk through the hallway after that to go outside because some of them wanted to leave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they didn't want to continue <laughs> on. And, uh, and unfortunately, that's the only way to get out of the house. <laughs> so we so went through some there. Of them were probably pretty scared. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We went through there and from a medium a psychic medium standpoint, that place was bouncing off the walls, that hallway. Mm, okay. It felt so heavy and thick with I mean, it was like walking through a thick force field, mm. you know, or thick spider webs through there. And every, and I wanted everybody to feel, feel this. Cause it was, it was, I mean, it was hitting me right in the stomach hard, you know, just the energy. I mean, it was like, it was, it was right there is what it felt like everybody walking through that hallway to go outside. And it felt like they had their stomachs turned upside down, walking through that hallway. Interesting. And, and then, so we got outside now, you know, in that sort of situation, obviously we didn't have any video going. It was, you know, kind of more casual in taking, you know, just touring them around and, but it, and it all happened fairly fast. You know, I'd say the whole thing, hearing the sound, turning with the flashlight, gasping, she's gone, probably less than three seconds. Okay. It was pretty fast. But everybody saw her. <laughs> okay. And so I just always, I mean, that'll always stick with me. And well, sure. You know, oh my gosh! I mean, she I'm was sorry, like, "I'm sorry, I wasn't there." <laughs> I know, and and that's the only time I have seen what I would consider to be an apparition in that house. Would, would you say, I've got a couple of questions for you, if you don't sure. mind. Um, 
would you say that she was aware of you? Did now, you I'm not sure. I'm not entirely sure because was she like looking at you or do no, you she was just looking like straight ahead. Okay. Okay. And like, and no expression on her face. There wasn't, you know, a smile. She wasn't <laughs> frowning, just mm -hmm. kind of a resting face. Okay. And, and so I, I don't know. I don't know if I couldn't answer that one way or the other, because okay. it wasn't like she was looking at me. It was just, she was looking forward and my flashlight beam hit her right in the eyeballs and With she didn't no, flinch. No reaction whatsoever. Um, here's another question. Did everybody describe her the same way? Uh, yes, pretty closely. Pretty, yeah, pretty closely. Curly or straight hair, uh, disheveled, uh, but it was all dark hair, you know, dark mm -hmm. brown, dark brown hair, and just a woman that was probably like five foot six. Okay. And mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you what she was wearing really, um, because I mean, I just saw the face and was <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> as a as a psychic as a as a medium would you say that there that there was somebody home there was there somebody behind those eyes or did you just get the sensation that uh that this was something that you were looking at you could you could be looking at a grandfather clock that hadn't been there a minute before sure um i would say that i mean it's kind of hard to say mm -hmm. it was almost like a blank stare but yeah. not not quite Somebody might be home, you know, with her, but I feel like it was probably more of just a re a recording. Yeah. A re you I, know, and we just happened to be there at the right time. Yeah. I think, I think that's, I think you're pretty, pretty right on the, on, on the track there. My, my guess would be not having been there and not having, sure. You know, here's the scientist. I want to interview everybody for half an hour independently yeah. in a different room and have yes. people draw pictures and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but just from what you described, my guess is that what you all experienced was a classic haunting phenomenon, which is a recording that, that sure. you've got the recording of a person, sometimes of an event, an action sometimes. Um, but there is, there is such a thing in, again, in parapsychology circles uh, known as a, haunting apparition a haunting is just a recording sure okay but sometimes that recording is of a person so it can be a little confusing when you say haunting apparition but this apparition wasn't interacting was not really aware right. that people were there didn't react to the flashlight uh wasn't doing anything just there yeah uh, so it's very likely that all of you for whatever reason in that moment in that place it's almost like looking back in time for a split second sure yeah yeah just being able to sort of part a curtain yeah if you will catch a couple of frames of the movie and then and then the curtain closes yeah. so it, it, but, it happens so fast too. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, the, I tell you, the, the same thing happened to me, not in the Walker Ames house, um, but in the old stables. Okay. And before it became the business that's there now. Sure. Uh, it, it, there, I actually saw a gentleman uh, in a white shirt with rolled up sleeves and balding on top and a mustache. And he was standing behind some boxes. 
And there was this brilliant, this was in the summertime and there was a brilliant sunset happening outside and everything was brilliant orange. Um, brilliant orange light was coming through and flooding the scene and his shirt was stark white. Okay. If he had physically been there. It would have been a tinted. Exactly. There would have been, okay. would have been reflecting that color, which showed me that a, it wasn't a physical thing that I was seeing. And he was just there with his hands in his pockets, not really aware that I was there, sure. not doing anything in particular. And I believe that that was again, who knows, maybe it was a workman that, that was there, you know, 75 years ago. Yeah. For whatever reason, I was in the right place at the right time to just get a snippet of that event. Sure. Um, I, I often uh, joke with, with my students that they shouldn't be surprised if 20 years from now, other investigators in the Walker Ames house see ghosts of, of them doing the investigation from 20 years ago. Um, it could happen. I'm, I'm probably haunting that house even now um, because I've been there for so often. But I think that that's probably what you were experiencing. And that's, yeah. that's a wonderful story and amazing that all of you saw it. Yeah, now, yeah. I, I, I want to back up just a little bit because there was a couple people. There may have been two people that didn't see it because I was in the way. Gotcha. That were so, over here. But everybody, that was, everybody that was in standing in front of me that had that could see behind me, mm -hmm. as my light hit, it was just like, boom, there she was, gone. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, it, it was cool. Um, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, so I, you know, that house is interesting. Now, um, so you were on the first team of investigators um, to look into the paranormal activity in Port Gamble. Um, so I, you know, I kind of refer to you as the godfather of paranormal research <laughs> in Port Gamble. That always makes, that always makes me laugh because you're still doing you're still doing it. And well, you're here and there. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't get out there as, as often as I used to, but yeah, but you know, you, you shared your passion for the, all of this and it's got people like me more involved and wanting to be more involved. And so I would say, yeah, you're the godfather. <laughs> well, thank you. Then I've done my job. Then it hasn't yeah, done so, sure. yeah. so what, uh, I want, can you give us a little about, you know, that first time coming out here? What, what led to the team coming out here? How all of that happened? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was, I was part of another, uh, group here in the Seattle area, a uh, very well-known group actually. Um, that's still in operation today. And the, the, one of the two original creators of that group, um, I worked pretty, pretty closely with. He was also very much into parapsychology um, and and scientific research. So we we worked pretty well together. And there were um, three other people who were all psychics and mediums um, that I worked with very, very closely as well. So we sort okay. of had a little core group within a larger group. Okay. And it just happened that we were the ones that were available and willing to go out on investigation. If anybody has put together a, a just so happen, huh? Yeah, a larger group. You know that there are the people that are really interested but never want to do the actual work. You know, um, they just want to 
get all the evidence and go on the on the investigations. Anyway, um, so this small group of us really wanted to do the work because we were really interested in all of this. Um, that gentleman was transferred out of state, and shortly after that, the other uh, persons, myself, we sort of split off and formed our own group known as the Evergreen Paranormal Group. And because we had worked so well together, we knew each other's routines and, and, and sure. inside and out, and it, it just worked very, very well. So we started doing private investigations. Now, the gentleman who had moved out of state, who had originally formed this group, had on one of his days off before he had moved, he had taken a drive out to Port Gamble. He'd never been there before. He and his wife were on a drive. It was a beautiful fall afternoon. Okay. And they drove into town and he just looked around for those people who haven't been to Port Gamble. It's a picture postcard from the turn of the century. It's a New England town smack dab in the middle of the Olympic Peninsula uh, in, the, in Washington State in Western Washington. And he fell in love with it. He thought, wow, this is, you know, there's so much history here because everything's so well preserved. And he wondered if there wouldn't be any activity in such a town. Sure. And eventually he contacted Shanna Smith, who was the property manager at that time, um, asking if there had been reports of activity, not to come and investigate, but just, you know, what was the history? And it turned out that Shanna, in the time that she had been uh, managing the town, had taken it upon herself to record there were indeed a lot of experiences that people had, tenants and, and residents sure. and whatnot in town. And every time she heard one, she would write it down. Mm -hmm. And she kept this book, this log. So when, when Henry contacted her, she said, oh, yes, we have quite a lot of activity. And he said, wow, that would, you know, I'm part of this, this group. It would be great to investigate out there. And she said, well, you know, we'll keep that in mind. And then he moved out of town. We formed a splinter group. And about six to nine months after that initial contact, okay. we heard from Shanna and said, who said, would you like to come in and do some investigation? Because we've had some other things happening recently in town. And uh, so in very early December of 2003, we went out, the Evergreen Paranormal Group went out, five of us. Um, and our first two investigation locations were the theater building and the Walker Ames house at Shanna's recommendation because she said, A, they're the largest ones in town, they're public buildings, and they're both empty at this point. Sure. And oh, yeah, they have, they have quite a lot of activity associated with them. So we went out there and we, it's three o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday. Um, I, I'll remember we set up camp in the, uh, the theater itself Okay. and split into two groups and one group investigated the theater building. The other group investigated the Walker Ames and then we switched after a period of time Okay. and then came back together and, uh, put our notes together and then went home and listened to our tapes and watched our video and all that kind of thing. Okay. And right from the get-go, there were things going on in both of those locations. Um, we had, uh, as I mentioned, um, three of three. Well, actually, ended up four of the investigators were either psychic or had some psychic ability. 
Okay. In the theater, independently, all independently, um, the psychics came up with the impression of a very agitated man on stage, pacing back and forth and up and down the stairs on house left. Okay. Yeah, on the left side of the of the stage from the audience. Um, and he was really agitated and was not happy and wanted somebody to pay attention because there was something that needed to be done. You got three or four people all independently writing that down in their notes. Yeah. Think, huh, something's going on here. Um, turns out we actually heard footsteps going up and down at one point, going up and down the, uh, the stairs to the stage. And we shared this information with Shanna the, before the next time that we came out. And she said, well, that tracks with what we know is happening there because we have the theater itself is on the second floor. There are offices underneath. And she said, a lot of the people that have worked um, or rent those offices have heard somebody pacing up and down or walking up and down or running up and down. Um, and people in the theater have actually seen somebody on stage in that area, in the backstage area. And yeah. I said, well, cool, all right, that's interesting. Um, and as the psychics began to think about it, they realized that what was happening was that he needed to give us a message. He was, the reason he was, he was trying to get somebody's attention. And when we went back the second time, I found out why. There was an old piano. I don't know if it's if it's still there. It was an old upright piano, old upright piano, destroyed. You couldn't play this thing if, even if you wanted to. Very sad condition, um, and it had been shoved up against the left hand wall. Okay. Uh, backstage, and as I'm looking at it, I realize that behind that piano is an outline of a cutout in the shape of a door. And we went back and looked at photos that were down in the museum. Oh. You look at the exterior photos and in that exact spot was a door that led to stairs down that side of the building. It was an, it was an emergency exit. Sure. Um, and suddenly it clicked when I mentioned that to the psychics, they said, that's it. This guy is, we dubbed him the stage manager. He's yep. in charge here. And what he's so uptight about is that the fire exit is blocked. The piano is sitting there in front of it. Even though there's no door there anymore. That was that was it was there to him, I guess. Yes. So we got permission from Shanna to move the piano to a different part of the stage. And we did that. And then we had her quietly start listening for other reports of people. And from then on, there were no reports of footsteps on the stage or of seeing the stage manager. Yeah. And according to our psychics, the energy in the in the place diminished um, because of that. Now, we don't have a shred of evidence um, sure. in, in the form of photographs or EVP or anything along that, those lines, but we do have the previous um, residents and occupants of the building, sort of their stories and their experiences yeah. backing up what we were coming up with again independently. And then we made a change in the physical environment that then changed the actual activity yes. in the building. So it was a really interesting experiment in our first uh, visit there and, yeah. and our repeat visit. That's awesome. <laughs> um, the Walker Ames house, on the other hand, uh, oh, I should mention that one of the other things that we got that first trip 
uh, in the theater was in the balcony area okay. where they had put in a film projector, that, that great zinc lined film projector that's yes. up there, the old 1920s style. Um, I had set an audio recorder, tape recorder, on the balcony okay. on a ledge up there. And we locked up the building and went to dinner. A couple of hours, went over to the Walker Ames house, came back. So I was running tape for a while. We were the only ones with the keys. Okay. We had Shanna's keys. Got into the into the theater. I went upstairs to retrieve the recorder and sitting just a couple of inches over on on the railing okay were two bolts two bolts wow <laughs> in a cross they were crossed like an x oh. like an x but right next to the recorder now i'm looking around trying to think here's here's my mind trying to figure this one out okay what did it fall out of you know so like like a bolt from the ceiling is going to fall out land perfectly, perfectly on the railing yeah. and in an x with yeah. no plaster dust or anything they were totally clean nobody else was in in the building we had the keys when i listen back to the audio recording there isn't a sound there is there are no footsteps there is nothing to indicate that anyone was in there or that anything had been set down um, next to the recorder at so all I, or, that the door, or that the door had opened not yeah. not an indication at all so a lack of anything on your audio kind of lends to that yeah. it's more of a you know a, 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 you know some sort of phenomena that just happened right it's almost like an apportion of those objects an apport yeah that yeah. they just they just appeared yeah yeah it's actually the only time i've ever had that on a case where we've had a physical object appear um like that i know i know other people have had that experience um but i've had things disappear but i haven't had them just appear out of nowhere yeah. and why two bolts i've no idea, I've no idea. that's odd in the shape of an x and i've always you know for a couple times after that i'd go in there and i'd apologize to whoever did it because i wasn't getting the message i had no idea what they were trying to tell me yeah. um, i said next time speak into the recorder because i'm kind of i'm kind of slow on that uptake so um, but never did, never did find out anything. And I yeah. still have the bolts somewhere. I still have the bolts. Oh, that's awesome. So that was very cool. And of course the Walker Ames house is everybody's favorite location and instantly became our favorite location for those who have not had the pleasure of being in, in Port Gamble. Um, do go to the Port Gamble website and take a look. There's wonderful pictures and photographs. Um, and you can also Google Walker Ames house or Walker Ames mansion Port Gamble, and you'll come up with all kinds of photographs. It's just such a gorgeous building. Yeah. Um, a big three-story, well, actually, it's got four levels, uh, basement and three levels, uh, Queen Anne-style Victorian yep. gingerbread mansion. Yes, stained glass, uh, all that stuff, yep. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful with all the, the turned woodwork and, and everything inside. Um, and, and it looks like the quintessential haunted house. Uh, on, the in, on the on the inside because you've got all the, the wallpaper peeling off the plasterboard and you've got you know the laugh is showing and nobody's been in the place and lived in the place since the early 1990s um and you've you know she just she said there are things that go on in this house um and she's had 
workers in the house, you know, putting putting in things, repairing things. She's had to go into the house. Uh, contractors, you know, and 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 not all of them, but many of them would would uh, report having things happen to them in the house. And so, I fell in love with the place the minute that we walked in the door, because it's just it's just beautiful. Um, and rather rather than being a frightening place, most people just really enjoy being in it. Yeah. Um, because it's it's beautiful. And we were on the second floor. There's your second floor, um, which I also happen to think is the most active area in the house for my money. Um, and there were three of us. And I was, again, recording using my audio recorder. Okay. And there were three of us. I was in the middle. I had a psychic in front of me. I had somebody else behind me. We were just kind of touring through the rooms. Okay. The second floor, there's that area that makes sort of a big loop. Uh, the floor plan is a big O and there's a, a servant's passageway that bisects that yeah. O. Mm -hmm. So the, the central stairwell in the house for the servants. Now at that time, that door was supposed to be closed and it actually had a sign on it that said this door should be closed at all times. So we're walking through that shared bathroom and, and okay. there's the entrance, the door to that, that little servant hallway. And we're walking through and I see the sign and wordlessly, we're not talking. I see the sign and wordlessly I go, I'm thinking in my mind, oh, it needs to be closed. I'm going to close it. I'm just going to be nice and make sure it's closed. It was stuck. So I pulled on it and I guess I pulled on it harder than I thought because it gave and that door slammed and there's no baffling in that house at all. The sound just <laughs> echoed through yeah. like the crack of doom, basically. Yeah. And and we all just did one of these, you know, your shoulders go up and you squeeze your eyes and, you, and I'm thinking, shoot, I shouldn't have done that. But now the door is closed. None of us said a word, didn't say a word. And we went on with the investigation. Now, when I get home <laughs> and I'm listening to the audio, Okay. You hear the slam, you hear everything up to it, you hear the slam, and then you hear a female voice whispering very close, apparently, to the microphone, at least that's how it sounds, say very distinctly, not so loud. <laughs> now, the person in front of me was the only girl there, and it was definitely not her voice, no match whatsoever, even if she had wanted to, she couldn't have done it. Um, I have no explanation for it other than apparently somebody was following us around. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, you and, uh, thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. So that's that. And that was the first, the first visit to the house. Um, aside from psychic impressions, you know, marking things down on our maps and whatnot. Sure. Um, yeah. that later we were able to bear out from, from other stories and other tales from people. But uh, that's, that's really how that all came about. And, and fortunately for us, we were the first group that by invitation, yep. we were there by, by invitation of the property management company. We were very fortunate. And yep. Shanna was just a, a, a darling about the whole thing. And she had been, so she had such presence of mind to write out all of those reports yep. that she'd been getting for years. And yep. she actually gave us a copy of that and we added on to it yep. um, since then. So now it's grown and then you've I've done been, the same thing. I've been adding to it as well. <laughs> yeah. Every time, you know, there's an investigation or you do a, a special event or something like that. Yeah. And you add to it. So there's literally this Bible 
um, on, on not just the Walker Ames house, but the entire town. Yep. Um, so it, it, it just became very clear very quickly yeah. um, from that first visit that we had a really unique opportunity. Yeah. Um, we went back 12 or 13 times in that first year. Wow. Um, it was it was the paranormal tour of 2003, 2004. Um, we had like 12 or 13 dates. We were out there every month. That's um, awesome. And so you guys could really kind of plan out, you know, some controls and everything too. Exactly. Exactly. And we had we had the greatest resource was Shanna because she had all the history of everything and she yeah. we had access to all these buildings that nobody else really could get into that but weren't open to the public to some of the private buildings uh, that, that had residents in them. We even investigated her house, the house that she lived in, the Thompson house. Thompson house, um, yeah. Yeah, and um, so, and that was just the first year and, and we just kept going back and going back. And it wasn't until I started teaching classes, mm -hmm. uh, college classes in parapsychology and actual investigation technique in 2008 that I started using it sort of as Harry Price used the Borley Rectory for a year and a day, I got a chance to use the town, specifically the Walker Ames house as a testing ground and, yes. uh, and a, a research lab in the field. It was, that's exactly what it was. Um, and I just feel so fortunate and blessed to have, to have had that opportunity. And, uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I have a whole stack of notes an entire file full of, full of stuff. Um, that I've collected some of the most amazing pieces of evidence that I could ever have asked for have come from Port Gamble. And, uh, and it's just wonderful because you've got this whole, since 2003 till now, you can watch what's happening on a month to month basis. Um, we found out that the Walker Ames house has a set of cycles to it. You know, this I year this kind of phenomena is popular that starts to go away and it's replaced by this kind when that goes away the original comes back and then it it's just amazing um, it is it is i've noticed that it didn't take too long to kind of notice you know i think over the first five years i was doing tours yeah. i kind of started noticing different things on different floors or like you'll hear this kind of voice for a while and then the next year it's more you get more male voices than female. right or there's a new voice that Suddenly you know, that was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'll I'll share one quick thing with you, uh, based on your story of the whisper after yeah. slamming the door. So, I was doing a Facebook live stream in there a couple of years ago promoting the ghost conference, and I was in there by myself, and. Uh, probably not a great idea. <laughs> Your own mind gets to you after a while, but I usually feel pretty comfortable in there. And so I was on the second floor and um, I was in the master bedroom and kind of looking down this, you know, out of the bedroom, down that hallway towards the main staircase. Right. And uh, that takes you downstairs. And so I was in there and I was just kind of asking some questions. Um, and I had some really nice microphones that I hooked up to my phone. And so they're really pretty directional. And I had them, you know, it was dialed in. And I'm asking questions just to see if anybody would answer back because sometimes they do. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I asked, I'm looking for anybody who works here. Are you home tonight? 
and a female voice, I could hear it. I had my earbuds in. Okay. I could hear this whisper, and it sounded pretty close to me that said, no way. Huh. And and I was like, and I mentioned it on the stream. I said, hey, did anybody out there watching this hear that? Because I heard it pretty clear. And, you know, so I was like, huh. Well, then people said it seemed like, it seemed like it got pixelated in front of me or like a mist or something like went in front mm -hmm. of me. Okay. And when I watched the playback, there was maybe, I think it's just because of the lighting, you know, uh, it just looked like, you know, when the camera kind of pixelates and there's kind of like a wave that kind of goes through the shot. Um, and, but you couldn't hear this voice. Hmm. And I heard it just clear as a bell. No way. And so what I did was it made me walk out of the room and walk into this other bedroom that's at the top of the stairs and it's on the street side of the house. And so I walked in there with my camera and I had, you know, with my earbuds and said, well, I thought I heard somebody and I walked into that room and I was just kind of turning to my left and I said, how's it going? And I didn't hear anything. So when I watched the playback of the video later that evening, I didn't hear the no way whisper. Mm -hmm. But when I walked in that room and said, how's it going? There's a male voice that shows up on the Facebook live. And it sounds like he just says, bubba, 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 bubba. <laughs> and it sounds like it comes from behind me. Okay. And so that showed up on the Facebook live that it, it's from a couple of years ago and I can't remember what the time was in the video there, but that came through, but the whisper didn't, but I was so surprised that the whisper didn't come through because it was so loud and clear to me, but it was a whisper, but it was just, it seemed so loud. Like she was like right on the microphones saying, no way. <laughs> that was amazing. So, um, it, I, your, your experiences here, I, I mean, you got some great ones. Uh, we'll have to save that for another show sometime <laughs> <laughs> to go through some of those. But I want to talk about a couple other things, and then we'll, we'll get wrapped up here. Um, so you're a member of the League of Extrasensory Gentlemen. Yes, I am. I've had Casey Goodwin on. But you're kind of a conglomerate group that's come together. I mean, you guys are like, you know, Wonder Twin Powers Activate. <laughs> You guys all fit together very well, different backgrounds, perspectives in, in, you know, in, in what you do for work and what you do in the paranormal field and kind of what your focus is. And so you guys are filming the permanence of paranormal case study on yes. the old Wheeler hotel. And I was so excited to see now COVID and the restrictions and stuff, but it really hampered you guys being able to continue for pretty much the whole year. Yeah. But I did see the, the group uh, doing some more filming and stuff this last weekend. And, but I just wanted to get a sense of, you know, what's the most exciting thing to you about filming this documentary? Like what's been kind of the, the best and most rewarding thing for you? Um, for me I, professionally, I suppose I could say that it's, I'm all about education. As, as you know, um, I'm all about teaching people. I'm all about bringing information to people. So this for me is this great 
chance and opportunity to reach a much larger audience um, and, and show people what actual field investigation is like um, without the hype, without uh, the commercial breaks, without, without sure. sponsorships and advertisement and all that running the show, um, that this is actually what real, what we hope is scientifically based um, uh, paranormal investigation in the field is really all about and what it's like and what it is like to do it long term. So just like I've done with Port Gamble over several years, we've taken a period of time with the old Wheeler Hotel down in Wheeler, Oregon, on the Oregon coast, um, and been able to sort of do the same thing, have this, this long, longitudinal study, if you will, um, of, of reports and activity and, and whatnot going on there. So for me professionally, that's kind of, kind of the real satisfying part of it is that once this is done, um, it's going to offer a very, what I like to think is a very authentic representation of what real, real paranormal investigation is sure. like and, and how that's conducted um, and the controls and the protocols and, and how we all work together and, and do that. On a personal level, um, it's it's just such a joy to work with these guys. Uh, the, the, we're, we all refer to each other, we're brothers. Uh, yeah. brothers from other, other mothers, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and we've known each other for years individually and in tandem. And it wasn't until one of one of our group, Ben Robison, uh, was getting married and had his bachelor party at the old Wheeler Hotel um, that the five of us got together all in the same room at the same time and uh, and and did what we do here, talk shop and and lament about how there, there isn't anything out there that really shows what investigation is like and 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 it's all uh, scripted and all that sort of thing and then realized well we could do this we could do a documentary about this we could do a short film why not we've got the ability sure. um, and and we've got the 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 wherewithal to do it um, and then we realized we're sitting in the perfect place to do that. And, and the, uh, the hotel's proprietor was very um, agreeable to that, had been friends with a few of the guys for, for years. Uh, she took that hotel over many years ago and continues to honor the fact that there are permanent guests there in the hotel. Um, it hasn't always been a hotel. It's been a number of other uh, businesses and, and, and whatnot uh, over the years but it's been a hotel for many, many years. And so she treats them as if they are permanent guests, which I think is lovely. I think yeah. that's wonderful when somebody looks at the phenomena rationally rather than get rid of this for me. I need the Ghostbusters. Um, and so she, she really honors them and she honors the building uh, that way. So with her help and her blessing, uh, we've been able to, to embark on this mission of trying to tell the hotel's story and the yep. permanent residents their stories, uh, yep. what we know of them, and our story as investigators and share that uh, with everybody out there, whether you're actually uh, an investigator or not, this has something I think for everybody. Um, we had right. initially, we had initially 
uh, had a release date of 2020, and we all know what happened there. Uh, all of that crashed and burned, so we're not exactly sure when it's going to be coming out. Uh, but as you said, we've just recently started back again, so uh, filming has recommenced um, in the odd moments. So, I'm so looking forward to it. Yeah, you guys have done uh, just a real neat job with the whole thing. The from the quality of the filming and cinematography of it and the story um, and your experiences. So I, I'm really looking forward to this. And, and for people listening out there, uh, you can find it at thepermanencefilm.com. And you can also find it on YouTube. You can see some of the trailers. I encourage you to go to YouTube and look up The Permanence of Paranormal Case Study. Watch some of the trailers that they've put out for it. Um, and, and On Facebook. Well, yeah, yeah, you can look it up on Facebook as well. Um, and you know, we mentioned the League of Extra Sensory Gentlemen, the the guys who've come together to make this film. So they also do um, an event called Paranormal Boot Camp. Mm-hmm. And Neil, you talked about you know education for you know from professional sense that that's kind of the biggest part for you. And the Paranormal Boot Camp is just straight up educate. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a pretty, it's an intense weekend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and be prepared to learn when you come to them. Yeah, yeah, because uh, it's a great group of guys, Casey Goodwin, uh, Jay Verberg, Michael White, Ben Robinson, and myself. Um, we all have our specialities. Obviously, I'm, I'm parapsychology. Um, Jay is all about history. You know, they're, they're, uh, Michael is all about protocols and critical thinking. And then there's the technology aspect and, and, and all of those things because they all play a part in paranormal investigations. So as you mentioned earlier, whether by accident or, or divine uh, intervention, all of us kind of came together and were all the pieces for the puzzle uh, and fit together pretty well. So in, in the boot camp, we all have our own sections. We teach those and, uh, and then we usually take you out on an investigation uh, if, yeah. if possible. Well, so, yeah. I, yeah, I'm hoping that, you know, as time goes on, you guys can be able to do that. Um, you know, in a physical sense with people. <laughs> um, but, you know, your part, I, I kind of want to touch on a little bit, you know, uh, beings that you can't, we can't be really having events right now, but some of your focus with the boot camp is, is kind of the historical aspect of paranormal research and psychical research mm-hmm. and, you know, the, kind of the history of parapsychology. So, you know, for people out there, what are some, what are some good resources, you know, in the times we're in people to do their own kind of self research, where would you suggest somebody kind of starts to like, what's a good place for somebody to jump off into uh, with reading and, and researching, you know, certain people or organizations, what's, what's kind of your best go-to. Um, there's, there's several, actually, you're, you're not, uh, you have a lot of choices um, for, for everybody. Um, first and foremost, uh, from my point of view, parapsychology, so you want to go to the Parapsychological Association, the PA. Um, it is an international organization of parapsychologists doing research around the world. Some of them do it in laboratories, some of them do it out in the field. Um, and it's, it's the premier um professional organization and their website is chock full of information on all the different kinds of phenomena from telepathy to precognition to psychokinesis to hauntings and apparitions. Um, They've got all of that covered. 
Um, there, you can join as a as a member and get a bunch of, of membership benefits um, from them. There is also the Rhine Research Center, R-H-I-N-E, named after J.B. Rhine, um, who first started the, the center back at Duke University yeah. um, in the 19, 1930s, middle of the 1930s there. Um, and he was the one that really broke ground on research into extrasensory perception and then uh, eventually psychokinesis. Um, today, the Rhine offers one of the best online educational set of resources I've ever seen. Okay. Um, a lot of parapsychologists that I know, including Lloyd Auerbach, um, do classes online through the Rhine. So we're in the middle of a pandemic. You can't go anywhere. That's fine. They've got you covered. They have a series of classes and seminars and workshops that they offer. Um, so you can go to uh, rhine.org, rhine.org and uh, check out their offerings there. Um, there are other places like the Parapsychology Foundation. There is, of course, the Society for Psychical Research, uh, which is the British uh, uh, yes. original uh, organization that, that started in the late 1800s, um, where a group of Oxford uh, and I believe Cambridge scholars got together and said, you know, there's all these, these mediums doing all these weird things and reports of ghosts and whatnot. Somebody should really study that. Oh, we're scientists. We could do that. Um, and they created the Society for Psychical Research. Uh, it's still in existence today. So that's an online resource as well as its sister organization, the American Society for Psychical Research. So you can look up the SPR and the ASPR. Um, both of those are available. If you're into reading, Oh boy, there's all kinds of, of wonderful resources out there. Um, I think I, I think I still list a few of the the better ones on my website, paranormalstudies.org. Yep. So you can go there. There's um, a resource for you out there. Go to that one. Thank you. Um, and oh, I haven't updated it in quite some time. I apologize. I'm not a, I'm not a tech person. Um, <laughs> but as far as authors, those people whose names you should know. If you are an investigator, if you are a ghost enthusiast, if you're going out doing investigations, whether alone or part of a group, professionally or amateur, um, there are some names that you should know. And if you don't know, you need to go out and get these books now. You need to find out about these people. So we're talking about, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Dr. William Roll who gave us a whole different concept of the poltergeist. Um, investigators like Tony Cornell, D. Scott Rogo, Gertrude Schmiedler. Um, we have Mr. Ghostbuster himself, Lloyd Auerbach, yep. uh, who, who literally wrote the book, ESP Hauntings and Poltergeists, a parapsychologist's handbook. That is the field guide. You really don't need anything else other than this book, yeah. uh, Lloyd Auerbach. And it's it's back in print, so you can find copies of that. It's on my Christmas list. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. Well, yeah, there you go. Um, so, you know, if you're not familiar with these names, these are the people who have done the research from, you know, the 1950s on forward. And then there are names that go back prior to that, that, uh, that, you, that you also know Myers and and Palmer and yeah exactly all of these people who started at the very at the very basic level of of figuring out how to investigate claims of paranormal occurrences mm -hmm. uh, again from 
from mind-to-mind -mind communication to poltergeist activity to apparitional studies and everything in between. Um, they're the ones who actually figured out how to do this. And many of their books and their protocols are exactly the same things that we're using today, but people don't know where, where, where they were. Yeah. And, and for me, you have to know where it came from. It, it didn't yeah. just, you know, paranormal investigation did not just start with reality TV. <laughs> it's, it's a lot older than 1990. Um, yeah. So, this is the thing. And, and for me, this is the fun part because I love going back and educating myself. Anytime I, I go to a bookstore or I look in the paranormal section or, you know, whatever, um, because there's always something new to find out about. And even in the cases where that older research has been proven wrong, it's still important to know that they were doing it and why they were doing it and what they were thinking. Um, yeah. I, run into a number of students who had these great ideas about doing investigation. I said, that's a wonderful idea. And somebody started doing that a hundred years ago. And you should <laughs> read their work first before you reinvent the wheel, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's, there's just a lot out there, you know, uh, that's, that's available. And I'm, I'm just kind of getting into phantasms of living. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, Both volumes one and two. <laughs> I'm starting with volume one. Okay, good. <laughs> um, but you know, it's it is interesting to kind of look back in time and and see where a lot of the thinking that is out now, where that you know, actually how they did it, and it's it's just fascinating to think back in that time. There wasn't Google. There wasn't you right. know all this electronic stuff and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, these guys are going out, checking out, you know, mediums, quote, say air quote mediums or real mediums, you know, and, and bursting a lot of people's bubbles, <laughs> <laughs> which is a good thing to do. Yeah. yeah. We need more of that today. That's for sure. We need more uh, skepticism, more, 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 sure. more blood. yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a challenge, I think, for everybody, you know, when you have your own experiences and stuff, it's, it's and, and beliefs, you know, when you get into beliefs and, you know, it's, it's hard to get away from that and remain skeptical. And I'm, I'm thankful to know guys like you and uh, like Michael White to help keep me in check, <laughs> keep me in that skeptical kind of mindset. Um, it, it's, it's hard to do. You know, uh, to detach yourself, especially especially in the moment when something really cool is happening, um, you know, to, to say, OK, wait a minute, let's step back and take a look at this. Yeah. So, what really just um, happened? Yeah. Just going, wow, that's amazing. Um, but, you know, I'm like you. I love having those experiences. They, yeah. they fascinate me. They thrill me. Um, and I want all the answers. I want to know what happens when we die. Um, I want to know, you know, where does telepathy come from and how does that work and why is psychokinesis doing what it does? Um, and I have to content myself with the fact that we don't know right now and we may never know. And that's okay. Someday, um, someday we might, you know, it's, it's that finding that balance between having your own really cool personal ghost story and ultimate truth. And they don't, exist in a vacuum there there are two sides of the same coin really uh, so i think there's room for both yeah especially. yeah well there's there's one other thing i want to talk about before we wrap up um here on the paranormal beat show 
rogue style 2020 fighting it um <laughs> technology rise of the machines <laughs> yeah so um you've you've got another uh, line of work that, that you've got going on and um now for those out there i i hear it both ways is it tarot or tarot it's whatever you want it to be how about that i love that <laughs> Most of the time you're going to find it kind of depends on which side of the Atlantic you're on. Um, it's the it's the emphasis. It's it's either tarot or taro, um, depending. Okay. Of which which side of the pond you're on. Yeah, which side of the pond you're on. Um, but I've also heard it tarot with the, with the emphasis on the last. And, and I, I always say I take it from the original Italian, which is tarocchi. Uh, uh, which was okay. the original card game that we got the major arcana from. So I always, I always say, ah, I'm actually really lazy. But my excuse is I'm honoring <laughs> the original Italian. Um, so I say tarot just simply because nobody yeah. was around when I was 16 to tell me any differently. I like that. But, uh, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what uh, what you're doing. Well, it's it's been one of those um, voyages of discovery, actually, this year for a lot of people, I think, um, but for me especially. I spent 16 years in private practice as a certified reflexologist, and um, which is an alternative health uh, modality, health therapy. And uh, with COVID and the fact that my uh, clientele were predominantly 99% 65 and over, uh, I dealt with senior populations, wasn't safe to be able to continue doing that. I, I, I just couldn't do that anymore. Um, and so I kept thinking, well, okay, unemployment is fine, but I want to do something. <laughs> what's, the, what's the next step? And I went I went back, as a lot of us are doing, uh, probably in the early, early months of the pandemic, we started um, kind of going inward once we got over the shock of, I'm stuck at home, what am I going to do? People started quieting down, you know, and and all of the voices and all the distractions out there in the world sort of dropped away, and and people started going inside. And I was no different. I did the same thing. And one of the ways that I've done that since I was in high school was to use the tarot cards. Um, and I've read for myself on and off for you know thirty some odd years um, for family and for friends. And uh, I, it was my birthday is at the end of April and every year I do a reading for myself for the next year. So I can kind of see what might be coming up. Uh -huh. And as I was, I was doing this, I thought, you know, I, I forget how much I enjoy doing this, how much I enjoy working with the cards and working with the symbolism. Um, and then I thought, well, this is really stupid. I, I could be doing this. Could I do this? I could do this. I could be doing this. Why couldn't I do this? Um, and so I finally made up my mind that I was I was going to get back into Toronto, but do it full time and do it professionally because you don't have to be present to do Tarot. We can do it over the phone. We can do it like we're doing it here on a on a video call. Sure. Um, and uh, I thought this is this is crazy, but I'm going with it. You know, I have no idea where it's going, but that's not the point. So. I, I, that night I made the decision and the next day, um, my, my very good friend and colleague on Kasha Amenti, psychic medium, uh, happened to call me up and she said, I've been thinking about you recently. And, and this morning at breakfast, I had the thought, why isn't Neil reading? He'd be really good at it. 
And I said, thank you. That's just exactly what I needed to hear. Now I know that I'm on the right path. Okay. So I ended up creating Journey Work Tarot, uh, which you can find at journeyworktarot.com. And uh, my approach to the, the cards is, is all about the client. It's basic, it's very client-centered. So when you when you call me, when you come for a reading, you're involved. It's not a passive uh style of reading that I practice, I want you involved because we're looking at the symbolism in the cards and how that relates to you. What do these cards mean to you? What do these symbols mean to you? How do they make you feel? Um, there are all different ways to read Tarot. None of them are right. None of them are wrong. It's, it, it's as individual as the reader. Um, yes. I kind of come at it from a, a more, I guess you could call it a gestalt, um, uh, almost a psychological um, uh, type of reading, really big surprise for those who know me, right? Um, uh, so we we look at the symbolism in the cards and how it relates to to your question, to your life situation. Okay. Um, and it's I've got a fairly irreverent sense of humor, if you haven't guessed by now. Um, so I try to work a little bit of that into there because there's a lot of fear and stigma attached to uh, tarot cards and, and readers and, and whatnot. You know, we're not tools of the devil and uh, and all that sort of thing. Um, it's actually very interesting. A lot of people don't realize that there are behavioral uh, therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists that use tarot in therapy with their with their patients. I didn't know that either. Uh, yeah, it's as as a tool of self discovery um, and to get in touch with your subconscious and ask directions on your trip. Um, so that's that's one of the reasons why I call it Journey Work Tarot because we're all working on our journeys our personal paths and we get lost or we think that we get lost or we feel like we need directions and we don't, we feel like we're standing still or we're at a crossroads. Um, so, you know, I invite anybody who has any interest whatsoever um, or if you've got questions about your life or what you're doing or what you want to do and where you want to go, sure. the cards can take you there. So journeyworktorow.com. You can also find it on uh, Facebook. Uh, or the Book of Faces as Journey Work Tarot. And uh, I'm happy to talk with anybody and everybody. <laughs> That's awesome. And, you know, look up paranormalstudies.org as well yeah. for everybody out there. And you can see some of the resources that Neil was talking about earlier. Um, if you're, you know, take the, take, looking to take this time uh, being at home and, and really expand your knowledge of, of paranormal research. Um, so Neil, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on, even though we <laughs> had this strange stuff. It was extreme pleasure and I'm, and I'm very honored, uh, to, to have been invited. Thank you very much. Oh, well, for Neil, we're going to have you on again because, um, one, I think we've got a lot more to talk about that I didn't really get to tonight. And, uh, so we'll have you on again soon. Sure. And, um, Again, this will be, I'm going to try and get this up on my YouTube channel so that I can share it on Facebook. Uh, we had some technical difficulties where this Facebook live stream, nobody can hear Neil. Nobody wants to just sit and listen to me the whole time. So <laughs> we, <laughs> we got through that. And so I'm going to get this up to where um, it'll be out there for people to listen to. And also our station, uh, Let's Talk Radio. Uh, WLTKDB.com will also get it archived on the show on the station um, so people can listen to it in that in that way as well but um, you know I want to wish you you know happy holidays enjoy 
enjoy the you know the quietness of it um i, I think you. we all are in some way <laughs> and, yeah. and you you as well enjoy enjoy this time this is actually kind of a gift it uh, is you know yeah. you got to look at it in a different way and and i always leave every show um with a thanks to my guests and a little tribute of the past is history the future is a mystery but today's a gift because it's the present and don't forget that um hug the ones you have around you virtually hug everybody else right now and don't forget to be in the now and uh and i'm not sure if we're going to be doing a show next week we might be on a station break um and then we'll be coming back right the tuesday after christmas and my be miss karen anderson is an animal communicator so i'm really stoked to have her on uh but my thanks go to you neil um for coming on tonight it's always a pleasure to talk to you and well, thank I'm you honored to know you thank you for having this show because this is another educational resource for those who are listening keep listening uh because you're going to find all sorts of information on pete's show yeah well thank you so much Again, happy holidays, and we'll see everybody, I guess, uh, probably after Christmas on the Let's Talk Radio with the Paranormal Pete Show. Take care, everybody. Okay, let's see. Okay. <laughs>